Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. I'm sitting out in my car in front of a home in Bel Air. Haven't done this in a while. And I, I'm nervous. When you're going to talk to somebody like Bob Newhart, I'm, I, I'm a bit in awe. This is a guy that's had an amazing career on television. But I just spent the morning listening to his first three records. The Button Down Mind, Bob Newhart. Return of the Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart. And behind the Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart. Now, these all were recorded roughly between 1959-1961. You know, the first album, The Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart, won two Grammys. 1961, the Grammys. Won the, best, the album of the year, uh, Best New Artist, and R- Return of the Button Down Mind won Best Spoken Word album the same year. So this is an amazing amount of output. And these were huge records. And these were game-changing records uh, in terms of what I see as the evolution from the comedian to the stand-up comedian. I don't think Bob Newhart gets the proper respect that he should as a stand-up comic and as somebody that really invented the form of uh, one of the, the main inventors of the form of you know uh, American stand-up, you know, shifting away from joke-telling and from you know straight up uh, comedic entertaining to actually doing cultural commentary and satire. I mean, people are familiar with the, uh, or at least familiar with the name of Lenny Bruce or the name of Mort Saul. Um, but this is a little after those guys put out their records that Bob was working, and these records are profoundly important in terms of, of creating what the possibilities of stand-up could be, of, of point-of-view comedy, of criticizing satirically the, the forces that were at that time, you know, marketing, advertising, politics, uh, bureaucratic employment, uh, you know, what was being presented as, as uh, the future of America, this is a, a we, uh, an interesting time. That I don't know about historically that often, but it's a transition time. You know, at the middle of the Eisenhower administration, it's before Kennedy, but it's post-war, and there was a certain amount of momentum going on in America. You know, there's a big change going on. You know, the Beatniks were already around, as I said, Lenny was already around. There was a counterculture, but Bob Newhart, you know, becomes huge 
really speaking truth to power in a very palatable way. You know, he did comedy that that it wasn't just you know him on the phone talking to to someone we couldn't hear, but there you know on some of these records there's there's characters. He's doing characters that are engaging with each other. He's setting up scenes uh, in offices, you know, on the telephone, uh, in driving instructors, uh, on vacations. Yeah, he's doing full scenes. He's uh, what I heard one reviewer say about Cosby. He's peopling. Uh, the the stage with these characters. Uh, this is not something you see much anymore. Where where comedians will do a series of characters within a scene. There's a few guys that do it, and I love it. It's a rare thing, uh, and it, it was you know it was rare even then, obviously to do well. In my mind, Bob Newhart's one of the most important stand-ups ever. As I said, a lot of people know him from his TV shows, and and I think those are fine. I think they're great. They're obviously amazing. They were hilarious both the Bob Newhart show and Newhart years later. But there was a, yeah, there was a period where he was just doing stand-up. You know, he guest hosted the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson over 80 times. He was on the Dean Martin Variety Show, you know, dozens of times. Ed Sullivan made appearances in movies. But if you think about it, and I'm not sure you would unless I told you, you know, the three records that happened between 59 and 61... Uh, were over 10 years before the Bob Newhart show, which really familiarized everybody with Bob Newhart. That's a long time. I wonder what was going on in those times. I wonder what, you know, what was going on in his mind as he made the shift in, into stand-up. I, I guess I'm going to find all these things out as soon as I pull into his driveway, just sitting out here weirdly in Bel Air, talking on a microphone parked on a you know, fairly secluded lane, Oh, and he's, you know, in his 80s now. I'll try and keep my uh, my act together here. You know, I've made a bunch of notes here. You know, I've got two pages of handwritten notes in the margins all over the place. It's just like my brain splattered it onto a piece of paper, all the things that I should know. But ultimately, it's going to really, you know, come down to me and him, him and I sitting there and talking. Oh man. Yeah, I always I feel this way a lot. Felt this way when I was sitting outside of Jonathan Winter's house. Felt this way when I was in the parking lot of of uh Mel Brooks's office, sitting outside of Carl Reiner's house, sitting outside Dick Van Dyke's house. These guys are guys that you know that were were sort of there at the beginning. And it's always daunting to me to sort of how do I encapsulate that? How do I, you know, get a sense of that? How do I get it, get it all in or at least get that moment? You know, this, you know moments of, of, of I, I don't, I've got to shut up. I should probably, uh, I can't even head inside yet. Um, so I'll just sit here. 
Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. So we were just talking about Jonathan Winters when I spent time with him. You said that he was one of the first guys you ever saw? He was, uh, Johnny and I got to, well, there was a club in Chicago called the Black Orchid. And somebody, I think somebody fell, I had never worked a nightclub, but I um, had a kind of minor reputation around Chicago. As what? As just a funny guy. Um, I I did a, a local television show there. I did a man on the street show. And a guy, Tom Racine, was the host. Yeah. It's a man on the street show in, in 1958. Now, a man on the street show was revolutionary in 1947, but <laughs> it was no longer <laughs> revolutionary in 1958. Well, that's it so it was hard getting people to stop because uh, they'd, they'd like just push you out of their way, you know. Oh, had, here's it comes a gentleman. We liked it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they'd had enough of it already. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he would, he would do regular interviews, and then I would be the comic relief and i would do on a topic usually or just no just whatever i wrote the night, be- the night before <laughs> that was on you <laughs> whatever struck you show up prepared whatever struck me it's funny we were well we were on opposite today and captain kangaroo mm-hmm. so tough spot very tough spot <laughs> it, was, it was five days a week uh, and we were on for 16 weeks we got one postcard <laughs> <laughs> we weren't even sure if the if the signal was getting out of the building. The postcard said, "Why are you guys still on?" <laughs> no, the postcard. I did a guy, the most famous uh, human interest storyteller in the world. This man has published many books of human interest, just yeah. strictly on. So Tom asked me, "What is your favorite?" Of all the stories you've written, you must have a favorite human interest story. So I tell this story about it. I said, well, it's the family, and they had this dog. They had a little dog. And and the, the dog had been with the family for, um, oh, years and years. And then somebody left the door, the, the gate open, and the dog got out. And when the kids came back from, you know, from school and said, where's, where's Sparky? And, you know, and... Uh, the mother said, I know, it's in the house. I said, uh, no, I look in the backyard. He said, not in the backyard. So they started looking for the dog. And the dog, and then it was, <laughs> so, oh, it just became blibbering, yeah. you know. 
<laughs> car was a guy. He wanted to buy the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he thought it was a real book. <laughs> so I said, "Oh my God, we're not even getting through to people. They, <laughs> they, they don't know it's a, that it's they, no stick. It's a <laughs> that still happens, you know." I'm the, sure. There's a sucker board every minute. People just believe everything literally. Poor guy, you moved him. He's all worked up. Just wanted the book. So, it, you know, I listened to, you know, all of the records, you know, the well, the first three records. And... Um, first three were the best, yeah. Well, it was an amazing amount of output, you know, and... It, it, it was, was a flood. It was a... I mean, the first three albums were just... They they just pour it out, right? And you know? le and leading up to that, before we get into exactly what happened, so you're around Chicago. You grew up there. Yeah. You, do you go back still? Yeah, I go back. I you love got it. people. Yeah, there? it's a great city. Yeah, I you love got, that city. Still have family there. Yeah, my 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 three sisters are there. Yeah. And so, what were you? I mean, when you grew up, what was your your family like? What was the the life like? What did your old man do? <laughs> uh uh, he drank. <laughs> well, I mean, but I yeah. see. I thought everybody. I thought everybody's life was that. Yeah, you know, that's what a kid does. Right. I mean, he 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 worked during the day. Uh, he was a heating and air conditioning and heating salesman. Uh huh. And then he'd come home, and then we did have dinner sometimes as um, a family, other times not. And then he would leave around eight o'clock, and and he would go to this bar with all his friends. Yeah. And then he'd come back about 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And he had a snootful, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but that's, uh, but I, I thought that's what every fa father did. You and know? In, in retrospect, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I don't think he wanted to be with us. I mean, if I, <laughs> if I, it finally dawned on me <laughs> that maybe we weren't that. In fact, I guess my career is all about just trying to get my dad's attention. <laughs> hey, and, and I had this—I had this conversation with Steve Martin. He had the same—he had the same upbringing. Really? His not that his father was an alcoholic, but his father was a um, was just uninterested. Right. And, Detached. And, and he spent his time just, you know, trying to impress his dad, and so. I, yeah, I think that's. I'm, a, I'm devoted. I mean, I thank. I want to thank him. Yeah. You know, I, because I would, I, if I grew up in a normal house, I'd I'd be an accountant somewhere. You know. It's it's interesting how many comics I talk to that have an experience like that. You know, whether their father's detached or absent, or you know, this need for this approval to prove sure, yourself. Sure. Sure. But there's also like a weird anger at the core of that as well. Like you know why you know, so so I guess your mother was was solid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was. She was. Yeah. Very. She kept it going. You know. But was your dad? But, but in a way, she allowed him to do it. You well, know. Well, that's the classic structure. Yeah. 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 Put him to bed. Picked him up. Walked. Yeah, no, in not that so much. She wasn't that kind of drunk. He. He just was. He, he drank every night. Yeah. Until a doctor said to him, uh, George. That was his his first name. Uh, he said, George, you can't drink anymore. You, you're allowed one drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my, my dad said, uh, okay. And that was it? That was it. From then on, he had one drink during the day. That's all he had. And was he a, a different guy? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> he probably, not as much fun. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Are you the oldest, or where do you fit in with the whole? Uh, second oldest, yeah. And where, where did your sisters end up doing? Wait, where, how did it all go? Uh, oldest sister is a nun, a religious. Catholic, really? A Catholic really a nun? nun? Yeah, why, why would I lie about that? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to make anything up. <laughs> she was the first astronaut, the first woman astronaut. <laughs> the first astronaut nun. <laughs> <laughs> in the, fl- the the flying nun was based on her <laughs> but so so you brought up religious yeah oh yeah you could say that yeah, yeah catholic catholic yeah. yeah the fear was put in you early on sure <laughs> <laughs> and you remained uh, religious yes no it's, well that's uh, i guess you got to have something to hold you together Right? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, it 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 works for me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm not okay. I'm not as religious as I used to be. Show business will do that to but you. But I like. But I like this. The I like Francis. I like a lot of the stuff he's doing. That which who? Pope Francis. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I call him Francis. Oh, okay, I, yeah, yeah. You talked to him this morning. We're very close. Yeah, I just got off the phone. God calls me for advice. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a new bit. You're on the phone with Francis. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a, a, a certainly a more open-minded fella. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a. Have you been over there? Have you been to Rome? Have you seen the heart of it all? Yeah, went to Rome with the uh, the Rickles. As a matter of fact, when did that friendship start? <laughs> That friendship started because um, my wife Jenny, yeah, of, of fifty-one years. She, Jenna, mar- married. We we're married fifty-one years. She and Barbara Rickles, who was then Barbara Sklar, uh-huh. was a secretary for an agent that that Jenny was going out with, not while we we're married, right. but yeah. before yeah. before we Good. got married. Because yeah. I would have I would have put my foot down. Sure, you, know, yeah, you would have said something. Hey, wait, wait a minute. Not not the situation I had planned. No. (laughs) So, um, so I had never met Don. Yeah. But I I knew, I of course knew of Don. So uh, I was I was at the I think the the Sands in Vegas Uh in the main room. Uh I always bring that up the main room. Sure. Because there's a pecking order. Yeah, of course. And he was not in the lounge. He was in the lounge. Okay. At at the Sahara. Yeah. So Jenny said, and they, and they had just gotten married. So, uh, so this Jenny, is a young, sweaty Don Rickles. You, it's you the ever, same Don Rickles you, <laughs> you see. I just saw him in Canada. You know, do a, Did a, you a, see? A, yeah. I saw him do the Q&A at the end because I was doing a gala show after him. And when I got there, he was... Oh, that's right. He just did yeah. the... Uh, yeah. The, and he was sitting up there. Just, just, rela- just relaxed. Yeah, yeah, taking questions. And it was phenomenal. And he always speaks very highly of you. <laughs> and it, you know, and it's it's just the yin and yang of it, the 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 kind of the the differences in your personality. It, it, I guess it was meant to be. I, I'm surprised you guys never did the Sunshine Boys. We had talked about it. Did we you? Had to, yeah, we had talked about. It. By that time, it meant learning a lot of words. So it was recently. Yeah, I would say five years ago. Right, maybe. right, right. So anyway, a- anyway, so so Ginny says, Don. Oh, Don and Barbara are in town. He, he's in Milan, so why don't I set up and we'll have we'll have a, a late dinner with him because mm-hmm. his hours were like he started at one in the morning and went till six in the lounge. So we said fine. So we go to the Sahara, as I remember, the coffee shop. Right. Which, oh. Yeah, the all night diner thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we're ta- we're talking. I'm talking to Barbara. And Jenny's talking to Don. 
And now it's time to go and see Don's three o'clock show in the lounge. So now we're then Don goes back to change into a tux. He still wears a tux. Yeah. You know, everybody, Cosby, everybody else has given up. Yeah. I mean, Cosby's in in sweatsuits. Yeah. You know, but yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I'm just in a jacket. But Don still he wears a traditional tux. So he's going back to getting his tux. So we're walking into the, the showroom to the, uh, the the lounge. And, and Jenny says to me, he's such a sweet man. He's such, oh, he just he just wants to be with his family and he hates being on the road. I said, honey, that is not, that isn't the man you're gonna see, okay? I mean, I'm, I, you know, but yes, he is that way, but. <laughs> She'd never seen him. She had never seen him, no. <laughs> he walks out, first thing he says, and they put us in the front row, first thing he says, uh, he said this uh, stammering idiot from Chicago was in the audience. Uh, with, with his hooker wife from Bayonne, New Jersey. So <laughs> I look over, her jaw is dropped, and I, I, I tried to tell you. <laughs> this is what he does. And that was, that was the introduction. <laughs> then, we, then we started taking trips together, and we just... That was it, huh? That we was just it. have a yeah, yeah. We just have a good time. We just enjoy each other. Well, it's interesting to me, you know, when I, when I listen to your records again, like today, is that... In my mind, and one of the reasons that you know, I'm, I'm, I have such respect for you is, is that there was a difference in what you were doing as a performer at that time. I mean, you know, Don Rickles is, you know, he's his own thing. He's Don Rickles, but he's a club comic. Yeah. And it seems to me that you, uh, you know, are part of this legacy of, of what really became, in, in my mind, there's a difference between a stand-up comedian and a comic. There was a there was a, a sea change in comedy in, right around fifty eight exactly yeah and and it was you know the comic now had a point of view he had a, a way to speak you know a certain amount of truth to power yeah you know, he was able to take his time and you know it wasn't all based on old jokes no one it was no joke trading it was a specific which which was a reason the yeah. reason and, and and it was it, probably more Saul first right and then Shelley right Mike and Elaine. Johnny Winters, myself, Lenny, Lenny, that and that was pretty much right. Pretty much it. The reason they couldn't do "Take My Wife, Please" because it was college audiences, right? And and they didn't relate. I don't have a wife, you know. D d tell me something that affects me, right? You know, and and so they they didn't go to nightclubs, right? Because that's what the Albert a hole in the coat, you know, the, right. all all the punchlines. Which everybody had stole from everybody else, and that was their parents, anyways. Yes, and they so now they had to find their nightclub. Their nightclub was a college dorm, and they ordered pizza and and beer, and they sat around and played more Saul, Lenny Bruce, ever record it was. Because you, I think it does, it seems like Jonathan really came out after you on on record, and and sh and I guess Shelley and Mort and Lenny. Had done a record, Preceded, yeah. yeah, just a couple of years. Ago. And I think Mike and Elaine. Yeah. And Mike and Elaine. Yeah. So when you're coming up, I mean, when, before you start doing comedy, because you really didn't, you know, start doing stand up until after the record came out, right? I did stand up to make the record. Right, but before, before the that, first place I played as a stand up, we recorded the album two weeks. That, later. that my, that's mind blowing. I know. <laughs> because like knowing that and having read that, I was sort of listening to that record. It's like yeah, he's a little nervous. He's a, he's a little nervous. Oh, <laughs> tried terrified. <laughs> I know. Wait, there's another. So Warner Brothers, they yeah. finally found a place that would take a chance on a comedian who who had never played a nightclub. We're gonna tape on Friday night and on Saturday. One show on Friday night and two shows on Saturday. Friday night, 
I get a drunken woman in the front row. That that's the worst thing a, a comedian can get. It's still the worst yeah, thing. Yeah, still the worst thing. That and the bachelorette party, the worst. Yeah, because you can do same thing. You can, with a, a woman drunk, you can do maybe two lines, and then you better stop because the the sympathy immediately shifts to right, her. Right. Right. But she's drunk, so I'm doing um, Abe Lincoln, or I'm doing the driving assault. Yeah. And she's saying, "That's." That's a bunch of that's a bunch of crap. That's a, that's a bunch of crap oh, no. through the entire. So we go up, <laughs> Georgia Fox, and, and she's clearer than I am. Yeah, that's a bunch of crap. So we had to. On the tape. We had to yes. We we had to throw Friday night out. Now I got two. I'm nervous enough anyway. And where are you? I'm, at, in Houston, in, at the Tidelands in Houston. In Texas. In Houston, Texas, yeah. Why that choice? Why Texas? Because they're the only ones who would take a chance. It took them a year to find a club who for this, to hire a comedian who had never played a nightclub. A nightclub in Chicago, there's tons of them. No one would give a local guy. No, no. It was that tight. We don't got well, it. There was, for, there was yeah. a second city. Right. They were approached, and, the, and I was told they said, that isn't our kind of stuff. What does that even mean? I guess improv. Okay. I guess it right. means improv. Right. I guess that's what it means. All right, so you, all you got is Saturday night now. All I got is two shows Saturday night, yeah. And you nailed it. You, what you heard was that's what happened, yeah. And you could you could hear that nervousness in the... Well, not like nervousness, but like knowing what I knew, you know, and knowing that, you know, this was it. Uh-uh, okay. You, you, okay. you know, like I, I, there was an intensity to it. Because, you know, by the time I got to uh, behind the button-down mine, I mean, your flow was different, your comfort level was different, you See, know. I'm not even aware of it. I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, but this is just being, being sort of like, you know, the, obviously the material was great and you were great. I mean, it was a huge record. It was the first record to, you know, to win, you know, won two Grammys. So that was phenomenal. That had never happened before. Yes. So, <laughs> and out of nowhere, your first night on stage, basically, as a stand-up comic, you won three Grammys and it's a national phenomenon sells all over the world. I, d I did a show one time. I'm getting ready, because I only had people, they didn't really even understand, I only had one side of the album. Because pe People don't know what you mean by one side, because they're used to CDs. What, four bits? Three. Three bits? Three, you, three? you have three, three and a half. You three had three bits going into the show in Texas? Yeah, I had uh, uh, driving instructor, Abe Lincoln and Submarine Commander uh -huh. were the three I had. So at that time, recording an album was no small task. I mean, it was big equipment. You oh, yeah. Well, you couldn't see it, but there were there were microphones hanging yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So I got three routines. Yeah. So I go out one night, and I come off, and I go by the maitre d', and he said, they're applauding. He said, go back out. I said, I, I don't have anything. He, I said, that's all I have. He said, well, go back out. They're applauding. <laughs> <laughs> I went back out and I said, um, which, uh, which one would you like to hear again? <laughs> that's, all, that's all I had. So leading up to this, what was the trajectory? So you, you go to school in, and then you go into service? Yeah. And how long were you in the service? Two years. Did you go to, were you in Korea? No, I was in California. That's it. That wasn't as hard a battle. <laughs> no more stories. No. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I lived in Chicago, at that point twenty, twenty two years. Yeah, I, they 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 sent me to California. Now I run into the California weather, and I'm like, 
great. Why didn't someone tell me about this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all these years. Right. I've been freezing to death or, or, or perspiring from heat, mm -hmm. and no one told me about California. So yeah. I said, I, you know, as soon as I get $300, I'm coming back out here. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you went to, what, did you go to school on the GI Bill? How'd that work? Then, yeah, afterwards. I went, I went to law school for a year and a half on the, on the GI Bill. And you bailed? I flunked. I bailed. I'll use that from now on. <laughs> but it wasn't your thing. You, you weren't interested. I was too busy with no. I I was well. I was a law clerk. Like I I'd, I'd go to school in the morning and part of the afternoon. Then I'd be a law clerk in the afternoon. And then at night I was active in a in a play group. So something had to suffer, and it was. It was law school. At least that's my version of it. You um, were doing sketches and stuff? No, plays. Just full plays? These were, yeah, full plays, yeah. When was the accounting period? That was after I flunked out of law school. So then I went into accounting. Yeah. And worked two and a half years as an accountant. Was it horrible? I mean, were you were you like, you know, this can't be my life? Bored to death, yeah, bored to death. That That's how the Bob and Ray thing came about because... At the end of the day, the, this guy I was in the playgroup with, Ed Gallagher, he'd call me on the phone and we'd do bits over the phone just uh -huh. to break the monotony of, uh -huh. of accounting. And so I did two and a half years, and then I thought, I, I just got to try comedy. I just. And when was the advertising gig? That was after accounting. That was a very short time. That was maybe six months. A friend of mine was in advertising. He got me a job in advertising. And that didn't appeal to you? I got fired. I got, <laughs> well, no, I mean, again, my side of it is I was on the wrong side of the room. You know, I worked for a guy named Fred Niles. Yeah. Who who had this building, which is now Oprah, Oprah, or was Oprah's building uh, in Chicago. And I was on the wrong side of the room, and he, so he fired half the room, and I was, I was on the, that's my version of it. <laughs> you can't, don't ask Fred, because he's gone. But I think he has a different version of it. Anyway, I, at that point, I said, I, I got to try this. If I fall on my face, I fall on my face. Okay, I'll go back to accounting or whatever, advertising. Or. But some of this stuff was so pointed. Your experience in accounting and your experience in advertising, your experience in sort of a, a face with bureaucracy, but also your experience in, in what really became the dominating force of American culture, which was advertising. Did, did it did it play into, like, because it seemed like on the first record, the couple of bits, the press agent, Nate Lincoln, and certainly the marketing of the Wright brothers, that these were, you know, they, these were you know, very pointed satires about, about image and about what people thought were true. That, that's why they, they came up with the button-down mind. That's why it was called the button-down mind of Bob Newhart, <clears throat> which wasn't even my idea. That came out of Warner Brothers, that the uniform of the day on Madison Avenue was a button-down collar, mm -hmm. and so much of the material was about advertising and marketing and that kind of thing, that they called it the button-down mind. That was a pretty smart marketing person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know where he is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, never, I never got a chance to thank him. He did, he did you right with that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that mainstream America had seen that, that type of satire really, you know, as accessible as you made it. Uh, that I don't. I was just doing what I thought was funny. Right. I, mean, I, I can't say there was a giant overall but, plan. But but it, but it was definitely you know you had a, you know there was a certain you know chutzpah to it. I mean you know you, it was the world that you sort of had been in a little bit, and it was a world that everybody was starting to understand that was becoming public. I mean this was 
it was a pretty powerful time for America. Sort of post-war, yep. everything was moving forward. The economy was good, right? Yeah, yeah. Eisenhower. Yeah. 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 But there was this weird beatnik thing that was happening. Yeah, there was a shift that sort of led and into the 60s. Different, yeah. Actually, you know, they always said nothing happened in the 50s. A, a lot was happening in the 50s. Things were breaking Mort, apart. Mortzall and yeah. Lenny Bruce and Shelley. And, and All right, so you, you start, when you say you're going to start doing comedy and you got this idea... You know, how did you first start to approach it? Because it all happened so quickly once you, you know, got the record. But did you start going out and watching people? No, I don't think no. <laughs> you just were going to, Bob and Ray did it. Bob I'm and do Ray, it. yes. <laughs> so you didn't start. I, I, thought I, would, I thought my dream would yeah. have been to have become a writer for Bob and Ray. That that would have been, that's the epitome. That that's. Well, there's, a, you know, that dynamic. I mean, you can certainly hear you know, a bit of that, but, you know, there's only you. There's just Bob, and, and you know, we, you, the, the, the beats were filling in the blanks in reaction to this fictional person, this unheard person. Uh, but so you didn't, you didn't go out and study anything. You're just sort of like, I'm going to do this. Where, did you realize it was crazy at the time, or did you really think of it as a reasonable career? No, I just, no, I just had to find out. You just wanted I, I to just, do it. I, I just had to find out. People were telling me, gee, you're funny, you know. You ought to go to New York, you know, and get, get in a play. And then you you go to New York and nothing happens and you come back and the, the guy who told you to go to New York says, yeah, that had, I thought that would work out for you. It's you know? <laughs> now you've wasted five years of your life yeah. and all this guy yeah, says is that, gee, really, I thought that would work out for so, you. So what was the series of events then? So you, you, you had these bits that you wrote with the with the guy on the phone, the you know, with your, your buddy from accounting? Ed Gallagher. Ed Gallagher. Yeah. So you, you put these on paper. There was a guy, I think Chris Peterson was yeah. his name. He put up the money so we could make an acetate okay. of like 10 routines that we had uh-huh. that Ed and I had developed over, over the And a lot of them were, were improvised. They uh-huh. were just, it was an open mic. And I said, oh, um, you mean the two of you were just yeah, working? I'll, I'll be a I'll be a submarine commander. Okay, right. Okay. And okay. And then I'll I'll introduce you as you walk in. Okay. Fine. Right. And then we just we just go. So we sent these, <clears throat> and we got three replies. We got uh, Northampton, Mass, which I think was a girls' college near there. You sent it out as an audition reel. Yeah, we uh-huh. sent a hundred of them. This, okay. This guy put up the money for it, Chris Peters. Yeah. Uh, we sent out a hundred acetates. Three replied. Uh, it should have told us something. Yeah. Northampton, Mass., Jacksonville, Florida, Idaho Falls, Idaho. Uh-huh. Almost coast to coast. Not, uh-huh. not quite. <laughs> need, Select cities. We need Seattle, and, and then we would have been. Um, so, okay, now we got, Ed said, what, what did we charge? I said, I, I have no idea. I said, I know. Five, five five-minute routines a week. For thirteen weeks, I said, um, I don't know, seven fifty, seven seven dollars and fifty no, cents. No, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, yeah, I think. And well, we found out the tape costs more than than seven dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> yeah. So, one of the stations stiffed us. I don't know which one it was. One of the radio stations. Two wanted to renew us on this basically poor man Bob and Ray mm-hmm. program and we wrote him back and said I'm sorry we can't afford to do this anymore 
we, it, you know, it cost us money. So then Ed, Ed was offered a job in, in New York in advertising, BBDO. So I'm in Chicago, and, and Ed had to take the job because he had kids and he's married, and and we had nothing going. We weren't making money. So now I said, okay, I either have to find another partner as good as Ed, or I go out on my own. So I, I decided to go out on my own. So a lot of the conversations, somebody is still there. Right. Yeah. He's on the other end of the phone. Right. <laughs> yeah. But and, and leading up to the record, how did the record deal sort of come together? You couldn't audition. No. What happened was a, a, a disc jockey friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Dan Sorkin. He was a great disc jockey. He was like, just off the wall kind of. Right. So the Warner Brother record people were coming through Chicago, so they call on Dan because he's a very big disc jockey. To see what's going on? To just, uh, you know, handshake and, yeah. uh, oh, by, by the way, we've got the Everly Brothers. Oh, and, right, right, you know, right. Yeah. Kind of. Really <clears throat> like you to play this uh, this hot piece of wax. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he said, I have this friend of mine. I was on a... They had the Tar Show in Chicago. Yeah. got huge ratings. And it was off at 11 o'clock. NBC decided, what do we do with this audience that we've got? So they decided to build a show around Dan Sorkin, the, the disc jockey. The I was TV a, show. TV show. Yeah. To keep the power audience. Yeah. I was, a, I was a writer and performer. And the show lasted, I think, four weeks, I think. The director, he said, if if you, op- if you were at home and you opened the window, and when the partial went off, and the Dan Sorkin show came on, you could hear an audible click, of television sets all over, <laughs> all over Chicago being turned off. So yeah. anyway, yeah, Dan is he, so he's familiar with my material. So the one of other people. So he says, I have this friend of mine. I think he's very funny. And they said, oh, okay, we'll listen to him. So Dan calls me up. He said, borrow a tape recorder and record Abe Lincoln, submarine commander, and driving instructor. So I, I do. I take the tape down there. They listen to it. They say, okay, we think it's very funny. And we'll record you at your next nightclub. Right. I said, I've never played a nightclub. I said, well, well, then we'll have to find you a nightclub and record you at that nightclub. And that was the year. And that year. took a year to Unbelievable. find, to find him. And Because I called him up at one point, because I, I had signed a recording contract with Warner Brothers. And I said, whatever happened to They said, we're still trying to find a place that'll take a chance on it. I can't believe that's so astounding to me that the, that the industry was so intimate at that time and so controlled that if you wanted to, you couldn't just rent a place. You know, but that wasn't really a possibility because you needed the audience of the oh, nightclub. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You needed to walk into an established joint. You know that I'm, it's it's amazing to me. Okay, so it takes a year. You end up in Texas. You knock this thing out, and your expectations around it. You you knew you did well, right? Yeah, I mean, you felt no, good. No, you no, didn't. no, I didn't know. I I I thought the, the I thought the record might might sell twenty five thousand yeah copies. And so if I went into a city, maybe there are 50 people that heard, heard the album and would come in to, uh, to, to see it, right. to see the guy. So you make a little bit of money. You think you could get started. 
And 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 it's a great adjunct to a stand-up career. Yeah, sure. I had no idea it was going to explode. What, what do you what do you what do you think that was? What what do you think that moment was? I mean, you know, culturally. I mean, what because I mean, before I mean, you were familiar with Lenny Bruce. You knew you know Mortswell. You know these guys were were you know aggressively taking on politics. You know, and aggressively pushing the envelope. And you seemed to find. A level. This, I guess, I'm answering my own question. No. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. That he's found this level where it was where it was clean and not menacing to to sort of get the message of of you know kind of sticking it to corporate America, kind of sticking it to yeah. these these yeah. these shadow forces. There was there was a uh, God, I, I remember uh, Milstein, his last name, and he was a writer for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And he came down, he interviewed me at some place, maybe the Hungry Eye where I was playing at the time. And um, he wrote an article and and he called it The Man Who Bites the Hand That's Feeding Him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is kind of is what we were talking about. Yeah, the, He's biting the advertising, he's making fun of the advertising world that the advertising people are go to, going to see this man who then makes fun of what they do. That's a tricky business. Because if you go too far, they're gonna be like, screw that guy. Yeah, That guy's finished. He's a (laughs) troublemaker. But somehow or another, you found a very diplomatic line. There's nothing better than being able to to, to, to rip somebody and have them laugh. Without them knowing it. Sometimes without them knowing it. Yeah, they were Because they're saying, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) right, it ain't me. And it's him. Oh, yeah, it's him. I guess that's something you share with Don Rickles. You're just a little. <laughs> that might be the core of your friendship. Is that you're much more subtle, <laughs> but you're kind of doing the same thing. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I knew where I stood in terms of pol- politically, but but I also knew I was I was doing something important. I knew I was making fun of the large corporation. Mm-hmm. And I was making fun of the military, mm-hmm. the highly organized. I, I was just doing it in a little different way than you're humanizing it. You know okay. that you know that right. in the sense that you know because you were doing characters, and yeah. you know and these characters, even though you don't hear Abe Lincoln talk, you know what he became in that bit was sort of like this you know overly earnest you know not quick. Person and and the shtick of a, yes. the, the the press agent was like uh, you, you know plus the fact that this this is one of the most revered presidents yeah. in American history and you, you, and, and I'm saying the guy isn't real bright you he's know? thick yeah yeah and it, and it was I think it was it kind of released some steam in the American culture it, it's just it's phenomenal like in just listening to this stuff this morning it's so fresh in my head that a lot of that stuff still holds up. And, and and the the thing with the uh, the the rocket scientist is 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 a great bit because then that see that's weird because that's one of the really obscure. I love it, I love it because you know you're dealing with you know I mean Lenny did a bit about Hitler, right? Yeah, about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That bit about yeah he's a painter, yeah MCA and Hitler. You know, but it, it's still Hitler. So Hitler's on the periphery of the rocket scientist, but to actually you know. To actually draw attention to the fact that you know these these rocket scientists were Nazis, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you know the whole bit is this sort of like it turns out him really, you're going to and pay the best later. line in it. Anyway, make a long story short, yeah. we lose the war. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> but that's provocative stuff. And I don't know that Americans were necessarily, certainly people that, that weren't, you know, intellectuals or on, you know, or paying attention had not put that stuff together at all, necessarily. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I, all, all I'm saying is it struck me funny. Right. And, and, I, and I did it. Did you feel but, like you I wasn't a, setting out to right. blaze any new trails or right? But it, it was just but, this is but, where your mind but was. But this working. was in my gut that right. these things were upset me. You had, but you, oh, they did upset you, and you had a point to make. Yeah, the large thought. unfeeling corporation, yeah. the, the military. That this this man, uh, this submarine commander, rises <laughs> yeah. at, at least seven <laughs> levels above where he's where he's competent. Right. <laughs> and, and and very calmly explains this horrendous trip that they that they made two years underwater two, underwater, and the sick line yeah is what we we save as you know we knocked two two minutes off the previous record, uh, four minutes and twenty nine seconds in surfacing firing at the toad target then in resubmerging, uh, I think a lot of that time we saved was because of the men we had to leave on deck. I think they, in no small way, had an awful lot to do with the two minutes that we cut off the record. And, and, and we, none of us will soon forget their somewhat stunned expressions as as we watched them through the periscope. I'm not even sure that's I'm not even sure that's on the album, is it? I'm not sure. I, I don't think it is. You know why? Because Don Don Adams stole it. He stole it. I tried to. I I I had. I had nothing going. Yeah. And I tried to sell him the submarine commander. Yeah. And he turned it down. And then, and then just took it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. before you did button down mine. How did you How did you come in touch with Don Adams? Because at this point nothing was happening, and oh, so for that I said, year. "I'll become I'll become a no." Even before oh, this okay. is when Ed had gone to New York, and right. And I, I'm I don't know what the hell direction to go in, and I said, "Okay, I'll become a comedy writer." And, uh, and so I tried to sell it to Don Adams. And Don and I were good friends, and we get about Is he it. from Chicago? No, Don's from New York. How were you meeting these guys? Who else did you he was at the He was at the Cloister mm-hmm. in Chicago. Um, Don Adams. I had seen him on television. And So when you start, when so there was a period where you were going to be a comedy writer, and you'd go out and try to pitch gags to guys. Only to Don Adams. That's the only one. <laughs> I, because he stole it. <laughs> and, and he did me a favor because, well, I said, well, if they're going to steal it, I, I may as well do it myself. <laughs> so that was your one experience in, in Com- writing jokes. Right. I just took it. <laughs> All right, kids, a good idea. I I'll can't tell use you, it. I'll tell you what yeah. happened. I, I did it for him. Yeah. Um, and it, it, he was staying at the Mayflower Hotel in uh, in, in the Cloisters. Uh-huh. And I I stood up and did it. Did the submarine commander for him. He said, uh, I'm trying to get away from that particular character, but that, uh, the thing, so yes, my address and keep in touch, you know. <laughs> so and I'm, I'm at home, and I'm watching the Steve Allen show. Yeah. And he comes on, and he's doing the submarine commander. Yeah. And I'm yelling at the TV, <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> he did the whole bit? He did the, the, he did the guts of it. Yeah. yeah. And that one part that wasn't that you weren't able to put on the record. But so, so when I made the record, I took that part out, right? Because I I was afraid people were going to say, "Oh, he stole that from Don Adams." So that was still that was an issue with that generation of comics at the beginning. This idea of, of the bits being you know yours, yeah, especially if they were original. I mean, there's a difference between an old joke 
and uh, you know, and a, and a unique take on something. Yeah. And everyone was aware of that. And also the darkness. See, that's the other thing that, like, you know, it was started to drive me nuts when I was coming over here and thinking about talking to you. Is that I think that most people know you from the television shows, yeah. and that you know you made these seminal, amazing records. And there's a darkness to it. There's a cut. There's a bite to it. You know, you were sticking it to him. You had a point of view. I mean, that the the ledge psychology bit, I mean, <laughs> even as simple as that. Like, I don't know that you know anyone was humanizing these. You know, because like, it reminded me. You know that bit that Lenny did about the guy who put his mother on the plane with the insurance policy? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like you, there's this idea where you, you got this story where a cop, he's going to talk a guy off the ledge, and he doesn't. But not appear to. Right, right, right. He's got to play it cool. Yeah. Not, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and you think it's all going well. <laughs> hey, where'd that guy go? <laughs> you know, that there, there's a darkness to that. That's, that's, you know, but you finally hilarious. talk him out of it, and then... You, you're going to disappoint a lot of people. You know? Yeah, right. Some of the right. they've been on there two, three hours. <laughs> you know, maybe need a show. Yeah, <laughs> Which right. is again, you're attacking those, right. those strange people down there who are expecting who, the blood. Who are expecting, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was amazing. So so you do these three records almost in 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 you know back to back, and now all of a sudden out of nowhere, without being run down by the road, I, I think that you were given a gift in that. I, do you think your point of view could have survived as a un, you know uh, uh, just going out and doing nightclubs without the the amazing sort of success that happened all no, at once? No, I don't think. Could so. you have handled it? But no, because I did it. Yeah. I mean, when, when I played the the Houston, the Tidelands, and then there was about three months before the record came out. So I played nightclub. I played a club in in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and. It's across from Detroit. As an unknown. Yeah. Yeah. The record had not come out. Right. And died every night. I died two shows a night for a week. And the Canadians are very nice people. I mean, they 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 didn't yell anything. They they just they'd occasionally look up, and oh, oh, he's still on. Oh, and nothing. Nothing. Not a snicker. In the states too. No, then I went to another club in Winnipeg, and it went great. Cause, yeah. Because at Windsor, I was I was thinking of going back to a county. Right. Because I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life standing on the stage with no one paying any attention to me and not, and not laughing. Mm -hmm. It's the same material that was that was a hit four months later. So you learned a lesson there somehow. Well, yeah, you, I'm you not sure what it is. <laughs> All right, so now you're okay. a comic. Now you know you you did the three I'm months. A comedian. Of, yeah, yeah, stand up oh. comic. Stand-up comic, okay. Stand-up comedian. Stand-up comedian. Uh, Jack Benny once said, a comic says funny things. A comedian says things funny. Okay. Okay? Yeah. And and you do the Winnipeg show. You, 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 got, your road, you got your road chops in in between <laughs> recording your record and the release of the record. And, you know, you, you went through a dark night you know, between Winnipeg and Windsor. <laughs> A <laughs> very condensed experience, and then this this record blows up, and now you're you're a made guy. You're one of the guys. Now I got to assume that a lot of guys were like, "Who the hell is this guy?" Yeah, because they didn't know I wasn't part of. You know, oh, I ran into him. Yeah, he followed me. Right, into, all the into, comics. There were hundreds of comics. I said, "Who?" Did, yeah, I didn't know any of them. Right, where the hell did this? I guy knew him come by from? reputation, sure. but I didn't know him. The, I mean, the one benefit of it is, and the, the miracle of it is, is that 
as we said before, if you would have just started out on the road, who the hell knows what your style would have become? So now your record becomes popular exactly the way you wanted to do it. And now people are like, we want to see that guy. And yeah. they're coming out to see it. It's an yeah. amazing gift. You didn't get all beaten up. Because it, it, it's all attitude. Right. It's all attitude. Yep. And if you were out there, you know, grinding away, trying to make, you know, entertain people as an unknown, you might, you might not ever come up with what you might never arrived at what you want. The hell with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go through not, this. <laughs> not cut out for this. So what happens? Like it must have just been like a rocket. You must have just been like you know overnight almost. It was crazy. It was just crazy. Then it was the hungry eye. Then it was the crescendo. In San Francisco. Yeah. And then, you're meeting all the guys. Who are you meeting? Like I'm, who are you well, seeing? I'm, no, I'm not meeting all the guys. I, not yet? I'm, I met him as I go along. I meet Buddy Hackett. Oh God, he was so funny. Yeah, yeah. Inventive. So inventive. Just like, but he's just—he was one of my favorite. Like when I was a kid, I, I sent him—I sent away for his autograph picture. There was did, just did he send it? Yeah, <laughs> somebody sent it. You're one of the lucky ones. <laughs> somebody sent it. My grandmother loved him. You know, she she go to Vegas a lot. My grandmother, she see Shaky Green, Buddy Hackett, Rickles. <laughs> what she said about Rickles was funny. He's like, he's very mean, nasty, but he, after the show, he apologizes very nicely to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and she loved Buddy Hackett, but what 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 first what's what first started to happen? Because you know we're talking 1961. It's still 10 years before the Bob Newhart show, where America you know gets to know you as a yeah. television personality. So so what happens? You you know I know you did the you know Dean Martin show a lot. You did Sullivan. Yeah. You know you did. Um, I'm getting calls. Yeah. The record uh, explodes, and. I got a call. Do you want to do six Ed Sullivan's or eight Ed, Ed Sullivan's? I'm like, what, what's, what the hell's going on? I don't know. Just but, like that. But I'm, I'm enjoying the, the hell out. Right. And when, when, how do you record the other two records within two years? How does that happen? Did you just get manic and just start jamming? No, it was a flow. It was. It, it was. It. It just kept coming out. It just, As you were performing more. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I'd, I'd get a germ of an idea, and then I'd expand on it, and say, oh, okay, that's starting to work. I'll throw that in tomorrow night, and, and I'll add this, and until you had a bit. And then, then you started to, it seemed to me, that you started to enjoy do, you know, acting characters. You know, I watched some of the stuff with Dean Martin. It just looked <laughs> like you guys were having so much fun. <laughs> we were. <laughs> we were. <laughs> I mean, how, how many times did you work well, with Well, he, he never, I did... Uh, I did 24 Deans because Greg knew that. Who's Greg? Greg Garrison, who yeah. produced oh, right, yeah. the, the Dean Martin show. Yeah. He said, why don't you take some of your routines and and include Dean? Because Dean, Dean came in Sunday. That was it, you know. That's I mean, the day they that, shot? Yeah, that's the day he came in around noon, one o'clock. <laughs> he, so he played golf in the morning. He came in. Now, sometimes he'd be, he'd be in his dressing room and... and They'd have a camera, a, a TV set, and he'd watch it and see what he was supposed to do. Other times he'd get involved in. So I do the thing with a hairpiece. Mm -hmm. He had never seen it. Right. He had never. So when I start doing it, now it, now it breaks him up about returning the hairpiece. <laughs> so he was a great audience. He's a great audience. Because yeah. he, he, he wasn't in rehearsal. No, <laughs> no. He just. It's just funny to him. So. So. Greg said, "We, uh, I need a short thing at, at, at the front, you mm -hmm. and Dean. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, 
I'm a plate act. Plate okay. plate act, you know, <laughs> right, with the yeah, sticks sure. and yeah, the, yeah. so but I'm from Europe, Eastern Europe. Yeah. So Dean said we're very lucky to have uh, one of the great plate acts of Eastern Europe with us, uh, Gregor, somebody, whoever yeah. I am. Gregor, nice thing. Thank you very much, Mr. Martin. He said, he said, I'd love to have you. Would you do your famous plate act for the for the people? I said, I lost the plates. I said, I took the plane. The sticks in the plates are lost. I don't I don't know where they went. He said, Well, could you do it anyway? I said, Without do do without the plates? Yes. Could you do it without the plates? You want me to do the show without the plates? So I said, yeah, so. No, there's nothing. There's no He's plates. Just mime plates. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, because it's funny. If a plate, if a plate loses his plates, what has he got? <laughs> and Dean was just cracking up. <laughs> now it's a challenge to, yeah. every week to break Dean up. Was it hard? No. Oh, that's a, like I never knew that about him, but that makes so much sense because he was so in the moment. Yeah, oh yeah, he <laughs> never, he would finish something, and then Greg would be there. Oh, Gene, you walk over here, and, <laughs> and then walk, he just, he and, just, and, just and just read those cards, <laughs> which is what he was doing with me. He's just reading the cards over uh, over my shoulder. Great entertainer, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when so in that decade there. You were doing Vegas prior like, to yeah prior to the to the TV show. Yeah. So you're doing Vegas, and you you got a family. You know you got a wife. You yeah, got, and, and that must have been a, a strain, or was it? Well, they they wouldn't go on. Well, they go on the road with me too. Yeah. Um, um, but mostly I play Vegas, and yeah. they'd come up. Right. But then on 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 Sunday night they'd go home. Jenny and the kids would right. go home because they had to go to school. Right. But then they come up Friday night, after, so uh, it, it was as normal of a life as you could have as an entertainer. Yeah, it, but so you weren't doing the road per se. You, were you, yeah, still doing the road. And what what about the variety show? How did that come about? Yeah, well, the variety show was the result of the record album. That, that came, the first one again. Yeah, the first one. That that was sixty one to. 60. So there was a feeding frenzy. This guy, we got to get yeah, this guy. Just get him on television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were some very good shows in there. I wasn't very good. I, I was fine. It was a it was a monologue, girl singer, guy singer, a sketch, mm -hmm. an actor sometimes mm -hmm. an actor. Charles Lawton, then random Charles Lawton. <laughs> just a guy you remember. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Lawton was there, I think, one day. <laughs> Charles Bronson uh -huh. before he was Charles Bronson, uh -huh. and we do a sketch. I was terrible in the sketches. I just I, I, I'm so used to oh, I'm so used to peopling. Right, the monologue with people, and, yeah. and then there are these people that I know. He doesn't look like the guy I thought I, that I made up. <laughs> That's in my head. <laughs> so you had trouble making the jump from solo to in, in, interacting. To sketches, yeah, yeah. To sketches, yeah. I had, I had plus the fact at the end of the first year, they were going to renew the show. It, it was borderline. It was. Yeah. They said, but you got to make some changes. Uh, you have to get rid of the announcer. Dan Sorkin. I said no, no. The radio guy. The radio guy. You brought him along. He, he was my he was my announcer. Yeah. I said no, no. I you can't. did him a solid. That's a, a loyalty thing. I, I guess so. I guess so. Well, he, no, well, he was 
I love knowing that people like take care of their friends. Well, if know? he hadn't, yeah, exactly. played the record for Warner Brothers, I'd. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I get it. Yeah, yeah. So I said, plus the fact that that I was doing a monologue every week, thirty-three monologues, and they weren't of the quality. They occasionally were of the quality, but they weren't of the quality of the record. The, of the stuff that you wrote alone. Yeah. So you had writers. I had writers, and I'm writing some right. of sure, it myself. Sure, of course, of course. But the pressure of every week right. is, so the, to me, the quality of the monologue was, so. And you have a very specific style. It's not like you're just doing jokes off the news. I mean, you got to, you know, these are elaborate bits. You were pro Your monologues are probably one bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a different. That's a different game. I, I one time, I, this was in. Uh, I wasn't getting along with the producer, and um, at that time, um, so I went home to Chicago at Christmas time. <laughs> this is how naive I am. I call up my 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 manager Frank Hogan. I said, Frank, why don't you call NBC? I I really don't want to do this anymore. I mean, so. Why don't they put in another show, and and I'll just I'll just do college concerts. Well, the next thing I knew, a vice president of MCA has flown into Chicago. You, you no, you can't do it that way. You just you can't say you can't <laughs> say this over. isn't this isn't working out. Bob doesn't enjoy this as much as he thought he would. <laughs> so can you just put something else in there? <laughs> That's what I thought. They sent the heavies, <laughs> and and now there's they see their commission going away because they don't own the next show that's that right. they're going to replace. Right. right. So, so I I make it to. to I did thirty three shows I think so. So that, like after the vice president, if he held your ground, the next guy would have had brass knuckles and, <laughs> and lived near you in Chicago. We got a guy here. Maybe talk some sense in this new art character. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so yeah. I'm I'm going in. They're talking about renewing me. I'm thinking, do I really want to do another three thirty three shows trying to a, a good monologue every week? And then they said Dan Sorkin. And then I said, I, I no, I don't want to. So that's that's a incredibly uh, bold. You know, you you realize the integrity of or, what you, or stupid. Yeah, but I it was it. But did you do you have regrets about it at that time? I mean, no, no, because you're making because money everything on the road. is well, everything has turned out. To, Right. Great. And, but the reasons were, you know, the integrity of what you do and, and you know, the, the sort of like the treatment of uh, your friend. You know, I mean, that was, you know, those are those are big artistic choices. There's nothing worse than, than saying lines, you, you, you know, that you, that you know aren't right. They're not funny. And then and then you got a bunch of people saying, like, just just do the joke. You know, it's not a it's a it's a funny joke. It's funny enough. What do you what do you gotta go crazy for? As you're doing as you're writing the new routine, they're they're saying funny, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's That's great. funny. Yeah, yeah, funny, sure. funny. Yeah. Not a, no change <laughs> of expression. There's a producer over at Conan. Funny that idea, that. funny yeah. idea. <laughs> and if you actually make them laugh, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> if that's what you're really laughing, like you've been bullshitting me for what, five a year now? Like that, that's the first time you laughed. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like you're walking down the street, you know, and you come to a corner of a building, and you turn and you hear this terrible noise, and you turn around, and you you see this safe has fallen, and just missed you by about three feet. Yeah, then that's your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I almost got. <laughs> that's it. So then you then you're just you know for those years you're doing TV, 
you know, this is after the variety show. You're doing the Martin show. Do you feel like you're part of the crew at some point? Like you're doing, like you're doing uh, Johnny's show a lot. And you're doing D. Martin's show. I mean, did you you hanging out with Buddy Hackett, with Don Rickles, yeah, and Jackie Green? Yeah, now I'm getting to know, especially in Vegas. Yeah, you'd get to know opening acts, and you get to know closing acts. And who know? are some of the guys you work with that you really got close to? Well, Shecky. Yeah. Uh, Don, Buddy. Do you talk to Shecky still? I saw Shecky. I did it. Yeah, I saw. I did a date um, last year in the springs. So uh -huh. I saw Shecky. Yeah, I mean, is it good to see these guys after so oh, many? Oh yeah, years? yeah. I wish I'd seen him. Shecky, when he, he was yeah, he was he was, he just make it up. He <laughs> just he just walk on stage and just start making it up and kill. <laughs> heard great stories. Like he he the Vegas, they wanted you. They wanted the opening act to do a half an hour and yeah. the closing act to do an hour, and th and that's what they wanted. They they do not thirty one from their opening right. act or. Or an hour and one from they wanted an hour. Yeah. That's all because they wanted to get the people back in the casino. Right. So Shecky is in the lounge at the at the Riviera. He sort of invented lounge comedy, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and he's and the the lounge is at this point is a a small showroom. It's beautiful. I mean, right. And so he's in the in the middle of his act. So there he's gone over the hour. So they start turning out the lights, yeah. and he's on stage. So he takes a match, he lights it, and he, keeps he does the rest of his act. <laughs> he seemed like a, a pretty uh, exciting character. Oh yeah, yeah. And and Buddy Hackett live was amazing too, huh? I saw Buddy one time. It was just he came out and he said, uh, "I was talking to uh, Joe Kelman. Joe Kelman. I know Joe Kelman. Joe Kelman was a guy in Chicago." He had a he had a glass company, and uh, I got married to Sherry, my wife Sherry. Sherry Dubois was her name, Sherry Dubois. Her, act, her actual name was Esther Cohen, but she changed her name to Sherry Dubois. <laughs> so I tried it, and he goes on, and, and, and he does his bits. And then, now 20 minutes in, he says, uh, oh, what was I talking about? <laughs> And the audience, as one person says, uh, Joe Kelman. Oh yeah, Joe Kelman. And I'm thinking, you sob, you son of a bitch. You knew, you knew what exactly where you were. <laughs> yeah. But you made it look like, like you just he improvised was making it. it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it's a good yeah. trick. Great. But you always stuck by the script of what you did. You were not a you know you didn't improvise much or you didn't like it or. Here, I, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. I had a thing because I started really at the top. Right. Like most comics start the opening act mm -hmm. for 10, 15 years. But yeah. in the back of their minds, it's when I make it, I'm going to buy a Maserati and I'm going to buy the home in Beverly Hills. And now I, I, I started at the top. Yeah. So I've got to learn. At the top, I got to learn my craft at the top, because I don't know my craft right. yet. So every night in Vegas, I peek through the through the the curtains to check out the audience, and oh, it looks like a trouble table. And yeah, yeah he's drunk. He's gonna yeah. be. He's gonna okay. He's gonna be trouble. Oh shit! There's a woman over there. She's gonna be trouble. So, so. you feel it, don't you? Huh? You yeah. Feel it. yeah. Every 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 yeah. show. Yeah. It's a ritual. Yeah. So I'm talking to my manager. 
and I hear my bow music. I thought, I haven't looked through the curtains yet. And I thought to myself, well, I'll handle it. Whatever happens, I'll handle it. Yeah. <laughs> that that's, has a big that's, shift. That's when I knew. <laughs> I learned. <laughs> I, I feel that, too. You go in the room, and you're like, there's a bad energy. What's happening right there? That's, that's going to be the problem. Sometimes they're not, though. No. You know, they're just people. Some of them know how to behave. <laughs> Some of them realize they're at a show. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I'm surprised. Like and some, now, yeah. now, after 53 years, there's a respect that they don't, sure. they don't yell up at you. Yeah. The reason I had a problem with drunks or hecklers, because I'm in the middle of something. I'm in the middle of the rocket scientist, and yeah. now there's some drunk, and he's yelling out something. Now I got to go outside the bit to put him down somehow, and then get back in into the bit. So that it ruins the continuity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sometimes depending on how the crowd work goes, it's hard to get back into the bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you've had to do that. That's why. That's why I hated it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I look for the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but even if you look through the trouble, even if you see them, you just you're just preparing yourself. You still can't stop course, anything from happening. Of course. I didn't realize you you guest hosted the Tonight Show so much. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Like that's unheard of now. No one does that. Everyone's so afraid of losing their job. No one would ever think. Eighty-seven times yeah. or something. Yeah. And Johnny would just, what, you'd just get a call? You, I mean, you, your relationship with Johnny was good? Were you guys yeah, friends? Yeah, no, we were friends, yeah, oh, good okay. friends, yeah. And uh, he was a hilarious guy. Oh, quick, yeah. And he just trusted you with that gig. It seemed like there was only a few people during that period. Where... <laughs> well, see, what he, here's what he would do to me. Yeah. You go to a pre-interview. Yeah. You're going to do Johnny's show. So, right, right. Um, pre-interview. Uh, just came back from a trip with Rickles. Has a funny story about Don in Venice. Okay, that's the first. Second one, uh, ha just has a new dog, has funny stories about dog in the house. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Hart is going to sit down next to Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever go skeet shooting? <laughs> and I look at him like, you son of a bitch. You know I have nothing on skeet. What are you doing? And he'd have this kind of... Yeah. Smile on his face. <laughs> he set you up, <laughs> but, he, but he trusted me, and and, we, and we'd make something out of it. But he did that all the time. Oh, that's hilarious! And of course, what I loved is when he when he came out and died. Yeah, and would you know, call the mic, see if the mic's on. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He invented something. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and when did you like doing that? Do you like uh, hosting anything? Yeah, yeah, it was a challenge, but it, it was so, so powerful. I mean, in plugging mm -hmm. appearances, mm -hmm. that you, were, you know. Um, so yeah, so you, you you fill up places. But I I did it for three weeks one time in New York. Mm -hmm. I filled in for Johnny. He was having salary um, disputes with NBC, so they were looking for people who maybe would take Johnny's place. But he knew that? This he, is, yeah, oh, sure. This is in the 70s. Did so. you have to ask him first? He said, I know you're in this contract. No, no, I, I was just kind of aware of it. No one yeah. ever said it, oh, but okay. it was kind of in the... Mm -hmm. uh, so I did it for three weeks. Um, the writers took the three weeks off because I'm not going to fire a writer. You know, right. You know, so they would give me three bad jokes, and then, then they'd work on their play. You know? <laughs> so I've got 18 bad jokes. So I'm at the end of three weeks. 
I'm a I'm a basket case. Yeah. I'm, I'm brain dead. Yeah. And and the man did it for thirty years. I did it for three weeks. I'm and I'm brain Exhausted. dead. Yeah. yeah. It takes a, a special person to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. To do a, that show. It's 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 insane. A dedication that's yep. incredible. And when in, in terms of movie acting, it seems like he did a lot of you know a few you know meaty parts, but you know you'd show up and they know exactly. It seemed like people when they cast you, they were like, "Well, Newhart would be good for this." Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you didn't really do really serious parts till fairly recently, right on television. Yeah. Do you like doing that? It depends on the on the yeah. project. Right. Know? Right. If yeah. It, um, I mean, I I never studied. Acting, right? I mean, I was in that group, but I wasn't never really studied. What it. was that group? Did it have a name? Just Oak Park Playhouse. Oh, okay. So, wasn't suburb, Second suburb City? Of wasn't it? No, yeah. no, suburb yeah. of Chicago. Right. And we were doing Pygmalion and uh -huh. you know those kind of <laughs> yeah. those kind of. I, no, with no guidance, just a no, director. <laughs> no, and I played in very cheap sets. You know, that, that <laughs> barely held up through yeah. the performance. Yeah, someone sat and they broke and fell. Fell apart, but but Catch Twenty Two was a big role. Oh yeah, and that was a bizarre movie, and a great movie, a great story. Mike Nichols directed it. That's right. Did you know Mike previous to that? No, I only knew of Mike through right, Mike and Lloyd. Yeah, and then so, of course, and then of course when he started directing, that yeah. was the cast on that was astounding. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know when you did that, was did you feel like your movie career was going to you know really take off? That's an odd. Mike came to us and said, you're all figments of Yossarian's imagination. You, you don't actually exist. You're, you're figments of Yossarian's imagination, um, which, is catch, which is the catch-22 of, I, I want to I get out of... You've got to be crazy to fly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if you're crazy, then... You're not crazy, right? 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 As everybody does. Yeah. So I, I didn't, frankly, I didn't know what the hell Mike was talking about. But, so I just played it for laughs. I just played major, major, major. Just I made it funny. Yeah, it was funny. Now you're seasoned. You can act. You're one of the guys. Was it before I get to that? Was there resentment of you coming in as green as you were from other comics? Did you feel that at all? Probably. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's diplomatic. A little bit, maybe. I just know comics, and I got to assume you, you're yeah. taking some. You're taking a bit of a, a bit of shit here and there. <laughs> yeah, I won't tell you who the comic was, but he could be on a. He could be in Venice. Yeah. For six months. Yeah. Uh, staying at a beautiful hotel, great money, sitting, reading Variety, and, and cast, I would have been perfect for that. <laughs> yeah. And he's mad. He's, yeah, right, sure, yeah. And perfect, I would have been perfect for that. <laughs> I had a friend who used to call the TV the resentment box. <laughs> Do you look at, how the hell did that guy get that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it never changes, you know. It's a tough business. So the opportunity, had you been given other opportunities to do sitcoms before that, before the Bob Newhart show? And you were just too busy on the road or didn't want to do it? I don't think so. I don't, I, no? I, I, don't, I don't remember. I, um, maybe. 
Yeah. But they didn't, I read them and they didn't Nothing. seem right. So how did this come about? This came about because um, MTM was founded by uh, Mary Tyler Moore, Grant Tinker, and Arthur Price. Mm -hmm. Arthur Price was my manager. So he came to me, and this Mary's show was a big hit. He said, would you like to do a television show? And I said, yeah, Artie. I said, you know, you get off the road, you know, and have a normal life. Uh, yeah. Just drive over to Burbank or wherever. Yeah. And uh, he said, okay, okay. So I, he said, I got a couple writers and Dave Davis, Lorenzo Music, and the three of us sit down and kind of knock out what you'd like to do. Yeah. So we started talking about, okay, all right, based on the record, Bob listens to people well. That's what he, he's a very good listener. Okay, who, what's a profession where people listen? Uh, psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I said, psychiatrists really, they deal with seriously ill schizophrenics. And, mm -hmm. and much as I would like to get my humor from, from schizophrenics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think America's ready, ready for it yet. So th then we said maybe a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, psychologist. They do kind of lesser disturbed right. people. Right. <laughs> then we started casting. Then um, we saw um, Bill Daly. Well, I knew Bill from Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill wasn't in the original. The original pilot was Susie. Susie was on. Uh, she was on The Tonight Show with Johnny. Mm -hmm. And my manager, Arthur Price, had seen, he said, I think I found your wife, a comedian. I didn't know she was missing. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he said, Suzanne, I said, Suzanne would be great. I said, mm -hmm. I, I didn't think she'd want to do weekly television. He said, well, I'll, I'll make a phone call. And so she, at the, she said yes. So then we built the show around the condominium that, that we stayed in, mm -hmm. in Chicago, and the, and the condominium meetings. And, we, and we, shot that, we shot that pilot. Between that time, then we reshot it. We shot it with Bill Daly, uh, Mrs. Paley, or, or Bill Paley, who ran the network, owned the network, had seen, seen her on a Merv Griffin show, mm -hmm. and said she'd be, She'd be very funny on um, on what's what's his name's show. Your show, yes. Bill Paley. What's you were what's his, his name? His name? Yeah. The, one of many what's his names. <laughs> yes. okay. uh, so, so that March, I, I had worked with Peter on um, Peter Bonner's Peter Bonner's on Catch Twenty Two, and and I knew we were going to do the so show. So who was Pat Paley talking about? Marshall Wallace. Marshall Wallace. Okay. Yeah. So I knew we were going to do the show in front of a, a live audience, mm -hmm. um, which every show did. So I knew we needed people who were used to live audiences because as a stand-up, I was used to live. Peter was in the committee up in San Francisco. Yeah. Marsha had done some acting. Um, Susie, of course, had done a lot. Never done, well, she had done Broadway, mm -hmm. but serious stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and Bill Daly, Bill had, uh, was doing stand-up about the same time I was doing stand-up. Um, so, so we 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 reshot the show with those people at it. 
Yeah, I was wondering because I was going through the first disc, and then like the second disc starts with a pilot. The one I think it's it's in this. It's, it is in there. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now you got this great cast of characters, and then you got the recurring cast of the people in the group sessions and the patients. The fellow who played Mr. Carwin, yes. who was amazing. What yes. was his name? Jack Riley. Unbelievable. Was he a comic? Uh, no, he wasn't a stand-up. Uh -huh. No, he was. Um, he was the, the, he was part of the what I call the Cleveland Mafia, uh -huh. which was uh, um, Pat McCormick. Oh yeah, um, he was funny. Jack Riley, uh -huh. Tim Conway, uh -huh. um, Ernie Anderson. Anyway, these guys. Anyway, he was. They were out here. Yeah, Jack was, was more an actor than, than uh -huh. a stand-up. Yeah, so funny. Great character. Oh, Is he great. still around? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that so that's what how history was made is that you were set up because you're a good a listening is one one way to put it but I think reactor. You're well, great. that's that's a, that's the other word they use. Yeah, yeah. Bob reacts to. Yeah, that. and that's a that's sort of like I guess that's where the comparisons to Benny come from. That you know that you have that moment that take that's very specific to you. I, I don't see a real correlation, but it's just a comic thing. They, that they say I have his timing, but you can't teach. Somebody no, he, no, that's the weird what, thing. What Jack was was he was, was brave. He was one of the bravest. Oddly, Jack Benny with his walk and all that was yeah. one of the bravest comedians who ever lived. Really? Because he would just he would take the time. Yeah. He, he wasn't slow. afraid. He wasn't afraid of <laughs> silence or quiet or anything. That's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. You know that you know yeah. to own it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and decide your own pace. I'll tell you a story about yeah. uh, Dick Martin told me the story. From Rowan and Martin? Rowan and Martin. Yeah. Jack is appearing at the Sahara in Las Vegas. Uh -huh. The opening act is the Will Master Trio with Sammy Davis Jr. Uh -huh. okay. They come out, they open for Jack, destroyed the audience. They're screaming, standing on the tables, pounding. They, they go up, Jack comes up. He said, aren't, aren't they wonderful? Aren't they just wonderful? Um, said in the afternoon, sometimes I'll have a, um, I'll have a, some tea, uh, usually, usually around, I don't know, 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, uh, qu uh, quarter, quarter five, mm -hmm. uh, five, so sometimes five. And uh, I was in a movie and with this actor, and I can't, I can't remember his can't, oh, I, I promised Sammy Davis he could do another, would you mind if Sammy, coming out, <laughs> Birth of the Blues, destroyed. Now, <laughs> you thought they destroyed him the first time, they're pounding on uh -huh. the tables. Jack watches them go off. Clive, Clive, that was his name. <laughs> Did he pull him around? Yeah. Killed it. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's amazing. That's brave. Yeah. That's brave. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hell of a reset after a big musical act, I bet. <laughs> so the, that show, the Bob Newhart show, I think set, it sort of set the standard for a comedian being in a sitcom, in a way. Kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was like revolutionary. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore was one thing. That was an ensemble cast. But to build a show around a stand-up, it seems to me that was one of the first ones, really, of that model. I where, yeah, I think so. Be where, because 
you didn't have to spend six episodes explaining who the guy was. I right. Mean, you know, you know, you knew who Cosby was when he walked on. You knew. Yep. You knew who Roseanne was. You knew who. Yep. And that all happened after you. And you were obviously, you know, comfortable with the material and the character, and you liked your writers. Yeah. Now, did, were there was it a struggle at all to to sort of honor your voice and to, to, you know how much did you have uh, influence in that? Well, I had total <laughs> control if I wanted to. Right. You know, if I wanted, wanted to exercise. To, yeah, yeah. In the sixth year of the show, and I had already said I w that was going to be the end of the show, the sixth year uh -huh. of the Bob Newhart show. Uh -huh. They came to me with a script where Suzanne is pregnant. Now I had specified in the first very first show I did I didn't want to have children that isn't the kind of show I wanted to do so they they in the, in the hopes that maybe I would consider not ending the show with the sixth year and maybe go on to the seventh or eighth that maybe if they introduce Suzanne's pregnant and has a baby and so I read this over the weekend and uh, so Mike Zinberg, the producer, calls me. He said, did you get the script? I said, yes, I read, I read it. He said, what did you think? It's very funny. I said, it's a very funny script. He said, oh, good, because we were worried. We didn't know if you'd like it. I said, yes, it's very funny. I said, who are you going to get to play Bob? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was that. So yeah, it's there. The right. power's there. If you right. choose to exercise right. it or not, it's, yeah. Right. You, and you know it, sir. But that wasn't your thing. You, they knew, and you know there yeah. was never. Yeah. So that ran for what? Six. Six, and that was it. Yeah. And that was enough. Yeah, it's just a, it's a feeling. Yeah. It's just okay. Yeah, I think. And and they were okay with stopping it. They weren't thrilled. Right. <laughs> yeah. The network wasn't thrilled. Right. Um, so now the next show, which happened, what what few years later. Four years, I think, later, yeah. Um, and you just wanted to keep working, doing the TV? No, I knew I was coming back to television. I, yeah. I just, I, I loved the medium. I yeah. just, I enjoyed it. I understood it. Yeah. Uh, there was a normalcy to yeah. it. You had a job. Job, you go home. Yeah. And have normal hours. Yeah. That went for, like, what, eight, eight years? That went eight, yeah. The first two were kind of shaky. Uh-huh. We were feeling our way, and then... The uh, the second year we brought in Julia Duffy, uh -huh. who was wonderful, and then and then Peter Scolari, and Tom Poston was in from the the Bob yeah, Newhart yeah, show. New yeah, show. he was yeah. the peeper. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. And then it took off, but the first couple years were kind of. But they they held in. They they stayed with. Yeah, you. because I think a loyalty to me, uh -huh. and Larry Daryl and Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> guys, those were the guys. Those were you, you. You had a hell of a job as a straight man with that crew, huh? Well, what I, I would always, whenever they came in, I was always behind the counter, putting keys away or something, <laughs> yeah. because there was, there was going to be about about thirty forty seconds of applause uh -huh. when they came in, and when they left, there would be thirty forty seconds. People loved them. <laughs> the first show they came in. We had a uh, a witch was buried in the basement of the of the inn, and mm. I and I called Larry Daryl and Daryl, not knowing who they were. Uh, I said we have a, a problem and we need someone to come over. They they were they formed a company called Anything for a Buck. That was 
mm-hmm. what they were known as. And I said, well, I need somebody to dig something up in our basement. He said, well, we're very busy, and we couldn't make it till like, next Friday. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, we need somebody before that. He said, just out of curiosity, what, what is it? I said, it's a dead a dead witch is buried in our basement. He said, we'll, we'll be right over. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes in. Hey, hi, I'm Larry. This is my brother, Daryl. This is my other brother, Daryl. And the audience goes crazy. I said, uh, how you doing? He said, I hurt my back. I said, oh. Said, it sounds like, how'd you hurt your back? He said, crawling under a house. I said, oh, it sounds like rough work. He said, it wasn't work. I just enjoy crawling under houses. <laughs> that guy was funny. What was his name? Bill Sanderson. Yeah. So that, that goes into syndication. The Bob Newhart show goes into syndication. <laughs> You know, where were you at mentally? Were you done? Were you, you sort of retired from television in your mind? Had you done enough? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kind of. I, my feeling was, I'd say, no, I still have my fastball. You know, right. Which, actually, it, it's a change-up. It's yeah. Not, it's not a fastball. And they wanted me for a show. I didn't, well, no, no I, I came back. It didn't work. That was Bob. Right. It was kind of the idea was we want to give them a Bob Newhart they'd never seen. Mm-hmm. Well, the audience didn't want to see a Bob Newhart they'd never seen. <laughs> Too late in the game for that. <laughs> so that didn't work. Then George and Leo, they talked me into George and Leo. Mm-hmm. They came to me and said, you, you have to, you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't work. And but you were still doing stand-up dates occasionally. And yeah, oh, sure. And you still do it now. I do about yeah about twenty a year. How do they go? Up. You love it still? Yeah, I hate getting there. Yeah, I hate the flying. Do you, hate. do you generate new stuff or no? Well, some they want to hear. Yeah. I, I usually do. I'll do one. I'll do a driving instructor or so while right. we're all here. One of the old because I know that's where some of the people want to hear that. Didn't you do a special that was like in the '90s? That was really at the, the Raymond first, at the Raymond Theater. All the the first those three records. The first, yeah, pretty much on. It's but, amazing, but li- but live, right, in front of an audience, right, right, as opposed to on a record. That's over. That's thirty-five years after, right? Yeah, and all those bits I imagine held up really well. Yeah. That was amazing. The, yeah. the, the the only one that that seems dated is the Automaton one. You know, the machines. Well, and Khrushchev. Khrushchev doesn't sure, hold up. Sure, right, right, because yeah, no one has a point yeah, of reference for yeah. it. But, that, I mean, I thought that the the, uh, the machine one was, was prescient. I mean, it was, you know, it, it did happen, not exactly that way. Well, that depends on how America feels about the military at that point. Oh, okay. Whether they like them or don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you weather the 60s when everything kind of blew open? I mean, because you just were sort of, you know, on your own trajectory, but it seemed like, you know, you got guys like Carlin and you got guys like, uh, you know, you know, prior in the late 60s that really kind of yeah, locked into but, that. Because that wasn't who I was. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a comedian. I'm a stand-up comedian. Right. But. Um, you didn't I, feel pressure. I don't inform people. Right. I mean, well, I do, but. Yeah. I do it very quietly. I do it. Um, uh-huh. Who am I? Right, right. Yeah. That, that's kind yeah. of my attitude. And, you know, like looking back on all, on all of it, you, you know, in, in all the comedy, because you seem to be a tremendous fan of comedy, which I love. 
Oh yeah. And you know you you know you bring up Pryor. Oh, oh he's the best, right? Genius, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no question about it. Here's what Pryor did for me. I, I made this comparison before. I got the uh, Mark Twain Award. Pryor got was the first recipient of the Mark Twain Award. Yeah. And and what Pryor did and Mark Twain did are virtually the same things. Twain wrote about life on the Mississippi, life on the frontier, really. 1900, you know, the Mississippi was um, was the frontier in, in many ways. Richard did life in the inner city. The, the thing that always struck me about him, outside of, you know, the bits, was his vulnerability on, as a performer. Like, you know, the, there was a sort of a real tangible kind of emotional rawness to him that, you know, you felt like a lot of stuff was was really happening in that moment and that, you know, he was really putting his heart out there. Yeah. And... Um, Painful stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you read about his life... But and, you read... you. He does the, the African-American minister. Yeah. The African-American minister in the black community occupies a position that, that pastors and ministers... They don't occupy in the white community. Mm -hmm. they, they are much more of a force. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the weight he brought to that thing. Yeah. 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 George Slaughter had some oh, kind yeah. of you know, the right. comedy awards or something. Yeah, yeah, the comedy awards, right. I present him with the award. Then uh, Richard looks at me and he said, uh, he said I, I stole your album. I said, I said what did you say, Richard? He said, I stole your album, Peoria. I went in the record store, put it in my jacket. <laughs> With the first record? <laughs> so I said, so I kiddingly, I said, well, you know, Rich, I get 25 cents an album. He says, give me a quarter. Somebody got a quarter? <laughs> give me a quarter here. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> he was something no, else. No, he huh? was, he's yeah. beyond. He's yeah. Beyond. You we're, love we're, comedy. Oh. When I was in, I'd be in Vegas. Yeah. It's, I'm there for four weeks, and I'm, this is the third week, and two shows a night, and you're not sure what day it is. Yeah. And I'm getting ready to go on. Oh, God. Jenny would play me prior. Really? She, she put the record prior. Which one? Which album? Do you remember? Oh, any of them? And any one of them. Yeah. You know? Mudbone, Mudbone is, it's uber comedy. It's beyond comedy. Yeah. I'm, it's Mark Twain. It's, right. It's. Yeah. It's cultural. It's, yeah. it's a whole culture that it's just. You know, Were you familiar with him before he became? Yeah. You know, yeah, but I knew I I knew of him like when he was doing the road show, Cosby uh -huh. stuff. Right. Know, and he'd be on the yeah uh, Sullivan show. Right. And he did Rage. I think he was a poet. Wasn't he a poet? And he did something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rage. Oh, very toned down. I was in Vegas, and he was at a different place i think that's when he said screw it yeah it's no yeah screw it. Well, i'm this is what i'm gonna do because i know he he attacked a guy in the front row who happened to be one of the uh, executives for the hughes corporation mm -hmm. uh, a guy named dick danner and he said he said what, what are you shaking your head for you know and then he started doing that's when he started doing. He what, broke open. What made him? What made him famous? Right. And just talking about being black in Peoria right. and 
the mother and, and you were in the, Vegas that day, that night where he did that. Yeah, because I heard about because they fired him on the spot. Right, and that's it, when he went to Berkeley and regrouped. That's when this he whole said thing. he said that this is what I'm going to do. I can't be this guy anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't be a road company. Yeah, Cosby. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you put Pryor, you know, uh, oh, on yeah. this, uh, yeah. you know, in this other world. And Rickles not is not thrilled about that. But <laughs> <laughs> he would he would never hear this sometimes. <laughs> unless somebody rats on yeah. me and tells him. About it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a different game, you know. Like if you look back at you know, and you still watch a lot of comics. You that's know, my, that's my favorite. My favorite thing is seeing a, a Letterman or something. Yeah. A great new comedian. Yeah, I, yeah comes on and kills yeah 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 uh, wow that's because you can relate to it good luck it, yeah, yeah 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 good luck just on letterman i, try, I yeah. try to yeah yeah but like, you know with comics you want to see them and you don't because you see one and then like two weeks later you'll start doing a bit and it just it's all falling into place and you start saying Wait did i see this <laughs> yeah you got am it. i making this up or did i see this somewhere it's and, true you know, if you, if you're immersed in it, and for a while, I wouldn't I wouldn't watch other comics for fear, because the new stuff that I came out the first album, it it just it flowed. It just yeah. it, it just how yeah. long do you want to make it? Right. You want to make it twelve minutes? You want to make it eight minutes? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you, you sort of have to keep away. But were you ever able? Were you ever able to meet some of those other guys? Like you know, like did you ever have any contact with Lenny Bruce or Mort Saul or those guys? I met Lenny a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Um, it seems like there's a line drawn between him and everything else, not not in, the, in a good way necessarily. Like yeah. like he was, you know, it seemed to me to the comic community, to some of them, they're like that guy's just you know overrated troublemaker. He was uneven though. Lenny would be uneven. He, right. He would be just great one night, and and then 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 the next night he wouldn't be so great. And then he got into that whole assassination and right, and, you know. And, Oh, with the Kennedy assassination? Yeah, yeah. And then with Jackie trying to get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was bold. No, he was yeah, he was so <laughs> but he was a mixture of show business, chicky baby and yeah, yeah and Yiddish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize how much Yiddish he spoke. Yeah. It was all very second nature yeah. to him. Yeah. And then he, you know, and then the battle became the battle with drugs and with the authorities, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and that just you know crushed him. Now, if you were to, uh, the other thing I want to ask you. Now, I know you, you know, you did these two series, you know, one for six seasons, one for eight seasons. You never won an Emmy. Okay. You got nominated a lot, and then you do you, you do some uh, some uh, Big Bang Big Bang theories, and they give you the Emmy. Yes. Was there a, a building bitterness about that? No, because. Um, all right, I did six years, eight years, 14 years, and then 15, 15 counting the Bob Newhart show, mm -hmm. the variety show, and then 17 or 18 with Bob and George and Leo. So that's 18 years on television. Yeah. I was nominated six or seven times. Mm -hmm. Okay. For several years, I didn't, submit my name for the award because I didn't feel what I do doesn't it doesn't get awards yeah but that's all right because that's what I do right I'm not going to change what I do to get an award so you're like I'm not even going to put myself in the right I didn't yeah you know, for six years so so I, I've been nominated 
enough. I was beat by people who were who were very good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, there was I, there was no. Yeah. Would I like to have had one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Would I? Would, yeah. And and I have one. Now. Good. Good. And you did SNL a couple times. That was must have been fun. Nice. Yeah. 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 That's what I think. That I think Lauren must have a tremendous amount of respect for you. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's, that that show was amazing. Yep. you know, to to do it, I I, I couldn't do it today. I'm, right. You know, physically to do it. And you work with Will Ferrell on Elf. That must be. Elf. He's a very funny guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like he's got to be up. Nice. There. He also doesn't get a lot of credit for for his his role in Elf because that could have been just a big dumb guy. Yeah. Who, who didn't get it. Yeah. But it wasn't a big dumb guy. It was this. Very likable, yeah. Person who thought he was an elf. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it would have been very easy for that to, for people. To say, oh, come on. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He's he's a special guy. You yeah, know? a very sweet guy. But when he turned, he knows he's one of those guys where I, I interviewed him, low key, very amicable, and he's one of those guys where you sit and talk to him and you're kind of half waiting. You know, like when's he? Someone's gonna have it. I just don't get. When's he gonna? <laughs> I'm talking to him for an hour going, uh-huh, when are you going to do the funny thing? You know? See, it's what we talked about off yeah. mic, mm -hmm. which which was to talk to, talk to somebody else who's done stand-up. It, it's it's just, it's you can't explain it. I know, special club. Yeah, it's a very private club filled with a lot of crazy people. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who Always, was, who right? Was, who was the guy who committed suicide? Um, Rich Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. I thought he was. I thought he was wonderful. Great, great yeah, comment. Great. Yeah. Who knows? Something, something wow. went wrong. Wow. Yeah, you see it all the time, and it's a lot of the same reason why we're comics. We don't fit in. Again, <laughs> that whatever's going on out there ain't right for us. <laughs> and there's a certain amount of acceptance. That's the beautiful thing. That's it. Is like you know, obviously for generations it's been true. You got a bunch of loose screws out there and they're with us and you, you know what would be sort of overwhelming to just a regular working person <laughs> is just a liability of our business <laughs> oh yeah i know that guy he's out of his mind i wouldn't get into a car with him but you can eat with him you know that kind of stuff <laughs> don't give him your phone number great act don't don't give him your phone number <laughs> so that's been going on since the beginning yeah <laughs> <laughs> Dick Martin told me this story. Dick Martin does not, he has never lied to me in mm -hmm. his life. Yeah. You think comics are crazy. Right. right? There's a ventriloquist named, if I remember, Pat Patrick mm -hmm. is on a plane, a small plane. Yeah. With the dummy. Yeah. He jumps out of the plane, leaves a note, the dummy did it. He killed himself? He killed himself. <laughs> I hope that's true. I hope it's true, too. <laughs> so, what's, like, I know the box set is out of the of the complete Bob Newhart show uh, from the Shout Factory. I know that there's a few available of, the, of, of Newhart as well. The records are always available outside of the first three. You did, like, seven, right, all together? I think so, yeah. And one was a compilation, I think. Right. Now, like looking back, as I was saying, the the mudbone bit. Now, if you were to say one of the, one bit of yours that you thought was that's just the, the gem, the one you like doing the most, or the one that you thought that was the best bit you ever wrote, what would it be? And I'll play it on the show. 
Okay. The uh, the problem the cliche is which which child right yeah right. do you want right, me? Sure, okay sure. yeah Sophie's choice but I like them for different right. reasons I like the driving instructor because I think that's the one that that pushed the record that drove the first album very accessible yes yeah I love the submarine commander yeah it's it's, a, it's the big corporation right where some guy gets to the top who hasn't who's totally incompetent incompetent i i love abe lincoln yeah because it says something uh-huh. that's that's even truer today than it was 53 years ago mm-hmm. the focus groups and yep manipulation of sure the people who are really running things yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, I got to tell you, it was a it was a tremendous honor for me to talk to you. Thank you, thank and, you. And, I really we, and we got in we got into great areas. That I appreciate I, it. That I love that I love to get into. Well, thanks for talking, Bob. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, many of you may have read the Hidden Persuaders. It's about advertising, and one of the points the book made was that the real danger of the public relations man or the advertising man was that they were creating images. And they felt that in the presidential campaigns, the candidates were really getting closer and closer together. There was no real difference between them. And you were really voting for the man. And this got me to thinking, supposing this science were as far advanced during the Civil War as it is today, and there was no Lincoln. Now, the advertising people realizing this would have had to create a Lincoln. And I think they would have gone about it something like this. This is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Hi, Abe, sweetheart, how are you again? How's Gettysburg? Sort of a drag, huh? Well, Abe, you know them small Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> you seen one, you seen them all. <laughs> right. Uh, listen, Abe, I got to know it. What, what, what's the problem? You're, you're, you're thinking of shaving it off. Uh, Abe, uh, don't you see that's part of the image? Right, with the, with the shawl and the stovepipe at the string tie. You, you don't have the shawl. Uh, where's the shawl, Abe? You left it in Washington. What are you wearing, Abe? A sort of cardigan? Abe, uh, don't you see that doesn't fit with, with the, with the uh, string tie and the beard? Abe, would you, would you leave the beard on and get the shawl, huh? All right, what, now what's this about Grant? You're getting a lot of complaints on Grant's drinking, huh? Uh, Abe... To be perfectly honest with you, I don't see the problem. I mean, you knew he was a lush when you pointed him, you see him? You're gag writers. Yeah, you're gag writers. You're, you you want to come back with something funny? Huh? Maybe an anecdote about a town drunk? Well, I can't promise anything, Abe. I, I, I'll get him working on it. Right, Abe, you got the speech. Abe, you haven't changed the speech, have you? Uh, Abe, what do you change the speeches for? 
couple, a couple minor changes. I'll, I'll, I'll bet. All right, all right, all right. What are they? You, you what? You, you typed it. <laughs> Abe, uh, how many times have we told you on the backs of envelopes? <laughs> I, I understand it's harder to read that way, Abe, but it, it looks like you wrote it on the train coming down. <laughs> Abe, could you do this? Could you memorize it and then put it on the backs of the envelopes? We're getting a lot of play in the press on that. How are the envelopes holding out? <laughs> you could stand another box. All right, I'll stand. I'll stand All right. But what else, Abe? You changed you change four score and seven to, to 87? <laughs> I, I understand it's not the same thing, Abe. Abe, that's meant to be a grabber. Uh, Abe, uh, we test marketed that in Erie, and they went out of their minds. About it. Trust, well, Abe, it's sort of it's sort of like Mark Anthony saying, uh, uh, "Friends, Romans, countrymen, I've got something I want to tell you." You see, you, you see what I mean, Abe? Abe uh, uh, what, what, what else? People will little note nor long remember. Hey, what could possibly be wrong with that? They'll remember it. Hey, they'll remember it. It's the old humble bit. Uh, you can't say it's a great speech. I think everybody's going to remember it, eh? Uh, you come off a bragger, don't you see that? Hey, hey, do the speech the way Charlie wrote it, would you? The inaugural address swung, didn't it? Uh, all right, and, 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 any, anything else? You, you talked to some newspaper men. Uh, Abe, I wish you wouldn't talk to newspaper men. Well, you always put your foot in. No, that's just what I mean, Abe. No, 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 no. You are a rail splitter, then an attorney. But it doesn't make any sense that way. I mean, you wouldn't give up your law practice to become a rail splitter, would you? Would you read the biography? You'll save a lot of trouble on this end. Uh, uh, Abe, Abe, listen. Before I forget, um, um, the manufacturer is, is coming out with the Abe Lincoln T-shirt right, on Tuesday. Could, could you work that into the address somewhere, Abe? Play it by ear. Whatever you can do. Uh, Abe, you, have you got a pencil on paper there? Will you take this down? You can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, you keep doing it differently. <laughs> but the last quote I got was, you can fool all the people all the time. And you're... Abe, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. Uh, they come up with a thing on Grant. Oh, right, right. Good, good, good. Yeah, all oh, beautiful. Yeah, hey, listen to this. this is, they got a beautiful squelch on Grant. Right. The next time they bug you about Grant's drinking, right, you tell them what, you're going to find out what brand he drinks and send a case of it to all your other generals. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it's uh, like, like the brand uh, was the reason he won. <laughs> No, 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 Abe. Uh, uh, Abe, uh, use it, it's fine. But, uh, trust me, Mr. Uh, uh, Saturday, Saturday night, 
Oh, Abe, I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in New York Saturday night. A, a bridge party at the White House. Oh, Abe, I'd, I'd love to make it. Uh, how about Seward? You try him. He, he'll be out of town too, huh? Oh, that's that's a, you you and you and uh, what's your name? Be home alone. Mary, be home alone. Huh? Oh, listen, Abe. Uh, why don't you take in a play? I'll, I'll be talking to you. Go on. I just got done. I just got out of Bob Newhart's house. Now I'm driving home. And what an amazing conversation. What an amazing history. What an amazing memory and clarity the guy had. And I was really ha- happy and honored to talk to him. And uh, I shut the equipment off. I was packing up my bags and we were chatting. And then I went out to my car to get my phone to take a picture. And the phone had overheated. So I came back and I was waiting around. And Bob was, uh, you know, showing me pictures that were in his office. You know, it was a, a letter from President Kennedy, uh, you know, a picture of him and George Burns, a picture of him and Jack Benny, a picture at a, at a party at Buddy Hackett's house with Shecky Green, Don Rickles, Jerry Vale, Dom DeLuise, Norm Crosby, uh, Norman Fell, uh, you know, pictures. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, he's taking things off the wall. He's showing me pictures of the cast of both shows and, what an amazing career! What a sweet guy, you know. What a what a uh, uh, an amazing life he had, and uh, it really went differently than than a lot of other comics I talked to. In just in terms of a guy who got these this amazing opportunities, you know, based on not very much experience, but really, you know, showed up and 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 you know was the real deal. It's a hell of a thing to start at the top and and stay there. It was an amazing afternoon for me, and I'm, I'm happy to share it with you. And I hope he's around for a long time. Okay, I'm going to... I should probably drive and not talk on the mic. Okay. <laughs>